There we go. And a one and a two and a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to Industry Talk. Welcome to Colin. Colin? Colin? I don't know. It's always a tricky one to say. Welcome to a conversation with myself and one Ryan Glass Spiegel of the New York Post. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you? I am I, I am absorbing your tweet that everybody's group chat uh, is discussing Udoka. Uh, I mean, current- it's obviously everybody says it's multiple group chats. So, you know, I've got like seven, maybe not group, but like seven texts at once. What the hell did he do? So you, in case people are like somehow listening to this, but haven't seen this report yet. Do you want to describe it? Um, I'm still absorbing it. Let's hear the expository, uh, the expository by you. Uh, but just everybody knows he did something. <laughs> That's where it's at right now. All right. Well, um, all right. So, you know, we're, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to lead this. Cause I broke a story on Shams or whatever, but, um, the, then all of a sudden Woj comes in, um, ESPN sources, Boston Celtics coach, this is about 40 minutes ago, M.A. Udoka, I don't know if I said it right, is facing possible disciplinary action, including a significant suspension for an unspecified violation of organizational guidelines. Discussion ongoing within the Celtics on a final determination and, you know, he was so confident that he had this, he slapped a Photoshop on it, breaking news from Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj ESPN, like with a red banner, breaking news, yeah. breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. The um, picture of him smiling, of, of grinning, like he's got no, that. No, he's news. not grinning. He's, gr- he's not grinning. He has a meme mug. Oh, I don't see that. I'm looking at the banner. Oh, a picture of Woj grin. grinning. Yes, I thought you yeah. meant a Doka. Um, no, no, yes. no. Doka is not is not grinning, but Woj is grinning because he's got the scoop on it, and uh, he he looks happy, and that is what appends the possible demise for one. Udoka, I say possible demise, sight unseen, and maybe by the time you are listening to this, you will know the gory details or whatever this is, uh, because I can't think of any instances where a coach was disciplined and it worked out for the coach. This is a an interesting one because he's such a new coach and just went to the NBA Finals. But it's such a political world the NBA is. And having standing and having the backing of an organization is so important that once you're disciplined, unlike if you're a player where it seems like you can be disciplined and you can just keep on trucking. You could be Draymond getting uh, suspended. Was it suspended or fined or whatever it was with the Warriors for the uh, KD interaction? And he's still a part of a championship team. I can't, unless I'm missing something, think of a coach situation like that. So I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much speculation. It's because almost like if it's anything, it's potentially fatal for a coach. Yeah, I mean, we we have no idea what it is. So can, I, can we play the, like, is this a fireable offense game? If thing, is it a fireable offense? Because I have like my, a question. My, my hypothetical is, even if it's not fireable, it's almost the beginning of the end. And it doesn't take a whole lot to, once you break a little bit of trust to erode everything. Uh, it's a different sport, but in collisions, low crossers, great You know, book, You I know think. what was one of the weirdest things about this? And you know, there's always mm. like, you know, someone on Reddit or some random tweet that has it, 
Yeah. Um, so I, I follow a guy, William Hill, who's like a, um, contributor for VSEN. And yeah. he, he retweet. you've been on his show too. Yeah. Yeah. He, Subscriber. He, retwe- he retweeted a tweet from two hours ago. So again, Woj posted this 45 minutes ago. This tweet came two hours ago from at hijab underscore creator, the name Juan Bonnet Ramsey. And this is somebody with um, now has 128 followers, but when I first saw it at four, Mm. uh, the tweet says, if there's one person who will never get fired for sleeping around, it's Ime Udoka. And this is something that came out again, like an hour, 15, hour and a half before Woj's tweet from, from someone with like, who tweets maybe like eight times a year. With, with, with a and, John Benet Ramsey pun handle, apparently. Yeah. This guy's tweeted 50 times ever. And he had that an hour and a half before that Woj banner. And it's just like, I don't know how that, like, maybe he just got ridiculously, like, lucky, or maybe, I don't even know. Maybe he caught wind of, like, some discipline coming and is guessing, but, you know, there's always random internet breadcrumbs that come out, or at least often, in some of these, like, random investigation stuff. Yeah, especially with, um, especially with William Hill. Uh, which it's so funny that he covers a lot of gambling and his name is, is William Hill. Um, the gambling... He might be listening now. He'll listen to it later. He's a listener of this. Yeah, yeah. Because he covers the gambling underworld and he knows about some things on occasion before they're known just because of how guys are moving, how, uh, how sharks are moving around. And I think he if memory serves, maybe knew some things about the actual order of the NBA draft, because that was a situation where Woj was incorrect on how the order would go. And you could see the money moving quickly before the media followed up. So there was, yeah, he, he was all over that. Like um, he talked about it on his show. And I think, I guess privately with both of us, but um, yeah, no, he didn't see, he didn't send this tweet to be clear. He retweeted it, which is how I saw it. But um, I don't know. And look, we don't know what he did. I bet you by the time we wake up tomorrow, we find out because mm. now that this is out there, I don't under, I, they, they can't keep what he did under wraps, right? Like there's just no yeah. way. Um, well, so. I'll, I'll tell my collisions low crossers story, which isn't about anything so scandalous. But I think that that book is a fascinating inside view of the football culture but also i think sports overall and it's this guy it was a dawadoff who got embedded with the new york jets and rex ryan and the beginning of the end for rex ryan is that he just overrode his, the decisions of his scouts and spent a very low draft pick on a buddy of mark sanchez's uh was it mark sanchez back then i think it was a buddy of uh, Mark Sanchez, who was a receiver at the same uh, school, who probably wasn't good enough. And right there, that just shattered trust because of the amount of time and energy they put in, um, that they could be vetoed in that way. That was the beginning of the end for Rex Ryan. And so 
trust with coaches is a fragile, fragile thing. And so that's, that's what I am hypothesizing is that even if it's something where he's still got his job over the next month or two, usually it's the beginning of the end. I cannot come up with a situation where a coach got disciplined and they just kept on coaching and thrived. I just can't come up with it. Maybe it's there, but I can't come up with it. I hadn't been thinking of it, and my memory is like for recall has been turned to mush. So um, if your memory hasn't been turned to mush yet, it's coming oh, with I'm kid bad, too. I, um, the kid's been sick. But I know nobody cares. The kid's been sick. I've, I haven't left the house the last two days. I'm a crazy person right now. But yeah. Yeah. So I don't, when you have kids, especially young ones, your ability to like remember everything that's ever happened to you just goes away, or at least it has for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I I don't yeah I what whatever he did, I mean we I think we have to know what he did to know if he can survive it. So I have a question because I think everybody's mind went to okay did something happen with a woman here that, that's and, the most fun that's the people i mean the, the non-domestic version of that is something people like to gossip about it's the most fun scenario yeah i mean i fun. don't know it could be like maybe he there was like a arrest an arrest that wasn't reported yet or um it could be uh yeah we're totally recklessly speculating and this is very <laughs> so hard because i'm in group and chats right now i'm looking at my group chats where people are saying it's maybe it's not this I'm hearing or it's not that. I'm just thinking I can't I can't say it extra, uh, extemporaneously. It's it's irresponsible. But yes, okay, so let's let's pose a hypothetical. And well, again, we have no idea what, what Udoka is accused of doing or did or whatever. If a coach has a consensual relationship with a woman who works in a front office of an NBA team. So let's say it's like a VP. And I'm not even saying anybody has like said this to me at all. I'm just like talking out loud. Like, is it a fireable offense for a co- an NBA coach to have a consensual relationship with a woman in an organization who does not report to him? I mean, this goes back to there are no rules, but you break them at your peril, which is the oldest NBA rule, because that is how the NBA operates. There's probably a rule against what you're saying, but I've heard of far more scandalous situations that never saw the light of day and that everybody knew about. So there's there, there tends to be a tolerance for behavior that would not be tolerated in other workplaces in the NBA, which is I, I think is one of the reasons why the Robert Sarver situation. And that's the other news item of the night that Sarver's team is going to be put, uh, put up for sale. Um, why maybe some people didn't speak out, or I said on the podcast I did with the mean that some of the people with the warriors who came through the Suns thought the report was a little overblown. I think it's just because it's, it's Chinatown, Jack. It's, it's, <laughs> Hey, it's anything. It's anything that anything goes, there are limits though. Right. Again, it's the, there are well, no rules okay, that you break so, them your peril. Yeah. If it was somebody who reported to him, that wouldn't be allowed. What if it, it was like, I don't know, a team dancer. Is that different than Ma- someone? Many like, players like are, I'm just going to say this right now. And I don't know if this is no shit territory or if this is aggregatable. Many a player, has had a relationship with a team dancer that went sour 
and they had to make her go away somehow with some sort of NDA and money. That is a very typical story in the NBA. So a coach doing it, I, I, I just can't see how that would rise to the level unless we're in a different era with different mores. Um, so I, I guess that is there, you wouldn't see a distinction between if it was like a woman who had power in the organization versus one who doesn't provided neither of them report to the coach. I think the devil would be in the details of how all this is coming out is the person. And this is highly hypothetical. I actually have no reason to believe this. It's right. But we don't have any clue. Like, it's just like, because we're thinking about what he could have possibly done and how vague the report is a big scoop by Woj. I'm not criticizing the reporting by any stretch. Like, (laughs) um, the, I I like how somebody is saying he could never be trusted because the mask around the neck. I always found that to be very odd as well, especially as we got into 2022. It's just, what are we doing here? Yeah. This man just, uh, he makes strange rules. This guy, um, (laughs) um, yeah, the, I I don't, was that in the chat. I didn't see it. That but, that wasn't uh, that was in the chat. I'm uh, you know, I I'm, I can't. The chat isn't loading for me tonight. Very unfair. But um, yeah. the yeah. So like like I said, <laughs> we don't have any clue what he did. But because of how like you know mysterious this news break is, it allows your imagination to run wild and explore these hypotheticals or at least us explore them because you are um not beholden to anybody and i am being um i don't know a little bit risky i'm not beholden to anybody but but, people in the chat are egging me on to try to scoop everybody on this i think one of the advantages of what i do is that i don't feel that pressure at all because it is if you were at uh and you know, the athletic or ESPN and maybe Woj has the whole thing. So what does it matter? Uh, but you would be like, Oh my God, I need to know everything. Oh my God. Should I be trying to try this source? Should I be trying to try that source? And um, I, I don't really feel the need to do it. I mean, Hey, if, uh, if somebody reached out to me, a trusted person from the Celtics for no reason and said, Hey, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, look at the theories. I mean, I'm enjoying some of the theories in the chat right now. Um, Can you read them? Because I'd like to hear yeah. them. Too. Well, somebody says, didn't Coach Spo Miami marry a team dancer? Um, I think maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, think so. I think so. Uh, somebody says possible theory, fake Vax card um, and or involved with players, fake Vax cards. Oh, man, that would be just such a such a stupid, drawn out. I, I don't know if they would even cover that one. I don't. I, I think that one would be uh, that, that that would be intriguing. I like that. It's kind of off the board. People's minds go to women or gambling scandal. I like going Vax card scandal. The idea of him running a counterfeit shop of Vax cards for the good of the team right there. Um, I mean, that one would be survivable. I'm just going to throw that one out there. If that was the case, I believe it would be survivable. I do. Yeah. Um, it would, would be, be look. Fun. Yeah, very like it'd be a very Nick Nolte blue chips sort of a speech about how I was just trying to win. You know, this is the only way, you know, like Jalen Brown didn't want it. What am I going to do? You want to win Boston, don't you? I was doing I was doing what I could for us. Um, by the way, Jalen Brown. I, oh, I, I, have, he... I have to I have to interrupt with my blue chips story because it's a good mm. one. Um, I saw 
that movie in a movie theater with five people. My dad, it was my dad, my cousin, and then Dick Ebersol and his son were in um, the theater as well. And we were the only people who saw it. I fell asleep. I think I was like eight years old. But it's kind of um, boring movie. Uh, the anyways. Go. So what? What are the? What else is the chat proposing? Oh, I don't know what else. I'm trying to say the, the common things: the sleeping with an important person's wife. The you know, I mentioned the gambling. Somebody mentions that Phil Jackson bagged the owner's daughter. Well, if he gambled, he's gone. He's gone, and we already know that he gambled. Like, I mean, maybe if he participated in some like illegal gambling ring. That's different. But if he bet on yeah. the Celtics and or in, on the NBA in any way, he's out. So, by the way, not not, not true about nobody batting an eye when Phil Jackson bagged the owner's daughter. That is the beginning of the end of the relationship between Jerry West and the Los Angeles Lakers, and how it turned into an acrimonious divorce. That was the precipitating uh, event. I mean, but the thing is, I mean, nobody bats an eye in part because. Hey, until Robert Sarver, when you're the owner, they let you do it, uh, <laughs> I think is the uh, the other thing is also the gender politics of it are a little bit different right there with Jeannie Buss uh, being with the coach. It is a great point, though, that that was not seen as, a, I don't know, too big a deal at the time. Um, as I talk extemporaneously, uh, <laughs> William Hill just messaged, are you doing a call in around this time? The answer is yes, William. That's why we're messaging you, trying to get answers. Uh, he says, and I think he'd be fine with me sharing it. He retweeted that tweet after the news broke, but Twitter does that thing where they show it was from two hours ago. So he didn't. No, I know. I saw that he found it yeah. after the tweet broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to uh, just trying to clarify right there. The gambling scandal would be interesting because the NBA is trying to do dirt and stay clean. They're trying to get all the gambling money, despite having the whole Donahue situation, just like all these other sports are, and not have this massive uh, onslaught of money somehow be a corrupting influence. So to watch them handle it would be very intriguing if that were the case in a scenario that I'm not saying is the scenario. There's a guy named Ben who is calling in. I mean, we got to take this call. I mean, look, it might yeah. be... It might be might maybe blow, he knows. might blow the Udoka situation wide open. He might. Ben. Ben. Hi, Ethan. Can you blow this wide open? <laughs> I I so can't. Um I so can't. Um by the way, we, we spoke last week or something when I was on yes. my way to Pearl Jam. So nice to talk to you again. It's very nice um, to talk to you again, Ben. So um I have two questions for you. One is how quickly do you think the the truth will come out on this mm. um a bit you know in the middle sort of, of a, the night tonight yeah exactly. I, I think oh it's a it's an unusual scenario though because Boge and the Celtics have such a tight relationship that potentially he could sit on that news and own it depending on how many people know about it but eventually the bucket gets a little leaky because players are going to want to know and their agents are going to want to know. And it, it's just hard. To, it's a great question. It's hard to really think about how long this can be held on to. And we also don't know how much he knows. Right. So it's, yep. um, it's a bit of a mystery, but I like the prediction of overnight. That's, that's a good prediction as far as I'm concerned. 
So, so second question, while we are uh, speculating wildly, um, and you mentioned a lot of, uh, you know, open secrets in the NBA, this has long been something that's been debated among my NBA fan friend group. Is, is there, are there any open secrets in the NBA as we look at longevity of guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, D Wade, et cetera? Are there, you know, KD coming back from his Achilles? Mm. Are there open secrets in the NBA with regard regarding PED use? Well, um, because it just yes. seems impossible to me yes. that these guys would be this. But it's complicated. Is yes, because I would talk to players and they would say that guy's on steroids. No, he's doing steroids. He's juicing, but it's not like they could prove that to me. They were adamant about it, and they would say that this guy. This guy's on the juice, but it's not like there was any further confirmation of it, which is similar to some of the um, the sexual scenarios and uh, very famous superstars who have knocked up all these women and have apartments uh, that they use for girls on the road or, uh, you know, in the home city. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where how do you prove it and why would you even, at least in that aspect why would you even really try but how frequently do you hear about it depends on the guy um depends on the individual uh there might be one who is very prone to moralizing uh <laughs> <laughs> stop right there <laughs> who might have you know a lot of tweets uh, about uh, about people all the time uh yeah but you know uh i'll i'll, I'll just try to keep it as vague as i can um, but you know, um, it's, it's discussed and it's actually amazing how much I, I talked to a guy once who was in that Silicon Valley world. He was a, you know, a big shot venture capitalist investor type. And when I started just having a conversation with him about the open secrets that are kept, he couldn't believe it. He was just that, that does not happen in our industry. Everything, <laughs> all the dirt gets thrown out there. You guys are really protecting some of these guys by not talking about all their affairs and all their, everything else. And I don't think it's such a bad thing that we do, actually. No, well, and that's the thing is because, like, <laughs> let's say hypothetically, purely hypothetically, that Kevin Durant and, and you know, uh, Kobe, people who had – Especially Let's say hypothetically, Kobe cheated on his wife. Hypothetically. No, well, I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about the Achilles injury, right? Yes, the Achilles yeah. injury that was once just, it was the end of your career. Even if you came back, you were never remotely the same player. Let's say those guys are juicing. I don't care. I think the mm. overwhelming majority of fans don't care. Like what we want is to see, you know, basketball at its, at its greatest height. Um, and and the best that it can be played. Here, here's so, where the um, the like morality play comes in, Ben. And I understand your point, but let's like you know these steroids they do you know inflame your heart and cause heart attacks. Is anybody who's followed professional wrestling in the 1980s and 1990s mm. can attest? I mean, it's it's um, one of those things where it's kind of the poison is determined by the dose. It's almost like we don't want very strict enforcement, but at the same time, uh, we don't want things to go crazy. I don't think we want NBA players looking like the uh, equivalent of Barry Bonds towards the latter part of his career, and suddenly they all look like that, and it gets uh, 
it just gets a little bit it gets a little bit weird. But do we want them using the HGH and maybe a steroid here or there to recover from the Achilles injury? Yeah, probably. And That's what seems much more likely to me. I mean, because it, look, it's if you're carrying around tons of extra bulk, especially the way the game is played now, yeah. it, you know, there oh, are diminishing returns uh, there. NBA players are shockingly skinny up close. And you lose all sense of perspective, A, because I think the camera does add a little bit of width, but also because you're just comparing everybody to how they look uh, beside one another. And so it is a little surprising and jarring that when you're in the locker room or you're, you know, courtside or whatever, you, you see these guys and they're very lean. It's a game that just is punishing for unless you're, I guess, Jokic uh, and a few other guys, but it just tends to be very punishing to guys who have anything on them like that. And even a, a, a really muscled, bulky guy like Blake Griffin, in person to me, looks kind of Michael Phelpsian in build. Yep. And um, so to what you're saying, I think I think there's something to that, that you don't, you don't typically want to get too bulky um, in basketball, but yeah, it says it, there's a perverse incentive structure and we could probably maybe touch on some of the Sarver stuff eventually, but, um, where the sport is hurt by its own self-policing that we have this sunshine is the best disinfectant idea and it's a nice idea and there's something to it and you can't have the sport go too crazy, but baseball really hurt itself trying to punish guys and clean up its act and stigmatizing guys. Well, so, and more yeah. than anything, baseball, you know, basketball is a is an entertainment venture driven by superstars. And it is very much in the league's best interest to have its most recognizable stars, you know, headlining for as long as possible. So, yeah. um, you know, to me, it seems much more plausible that it's a longevity play recovery from injury play um than it is than it is just bulking up my friend brian always you know he'll randomly just send me screenshots of Dwayne wade's jawline from you mm -hmm. know the middle of his career to um you know the last couple years of his career yeah and say you explain this to me so <laughs> you know I look it's, it was... it's a rorschach test for for sure I... but i i just yeah, I used to shout at my friends um, about PDs and football. That one Brett Favre season with the Vikings, where he was forty-one years old, and I would just keep shouting, "Gray beard! He has a gray <laughs> beard on. <laughs> this is not normal that he can have maybe his best season at age forty-one." But the the NFL has changed a bit, and I think is allowed for more leeway for the quarterbacks not to get pummeled. By the way, um, I, I might transition this, and Ben, I'm going to kick you off if you don't mind. Because we need no problem. Packer Good, great fan, chatting, guys. Ryan, great having you on. Uh, we're going to have uh, Packer fan Ryan uh, on this one. This is a random take, Ryan, before we mm -hmm. transition to other things. But it's been weird watching the coverage of Brett Favre and the welfare theft scandal because it's now dovetailed with this weird effort by media people to diminish Brett Favre, the football player. And I, I know Michael Schur isn't a typical media person, but I saw him on Levitard, and I don't think he's the only guy talking like this, who was giving all these stats of how Brett Favre is overrated and how many interceptions and how he has the same 
passer rating is Trent Green. And the this very odd thing has happened where because they don't like him, and I do think part of it is scumbag and the uh, was it Jennifer Sturger was that her name? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but it's also MAGA man because he's also that uh, that there's this pile on and now it can't just it can't just be scumbag. It's got to be also that he's not as good as we and it's total. You can't Brad look Farber's, at like, Brad like Farber's football amazing. numbers. Like, what, what are we really, doing? Football numbers don't really match up like across, you know, years because the game is like constantly changing as we've been, as we've talked about before, but yeah, it's an insane take to say that he wasn't that good. I mean, yeah, they say look inter- at his- it's like get interceptions. Yeah. And guess what? He had tons of yards, tons of touchdowns and played till age 41 and had two losing seasons. I think he was doing something that worked. I think, yeah, I mean, was you look at like his 95 to 97, which was his three consecutive MVPs that also included a Super Bowl win and a Super Bowl appearance. Like his stats relative to the rest of the league in those years were insane and his interceptions were down. Um, like, I, you know, the, um, the I coaches... mean, look, man, he played, he, he played with the great Donald Driver. Uh, you, you gotta, I mean, again, he wasn't surrounded by incredible talent either. I'm not any sort of football expert, but I don't know why this is driving me crazy. I think it's, it, it gets at something that annoys me where he, he literally like single hand, like not single handedly, but like the, the Packers still exist because of him. It's not an exaggeration to say He that. resuscitated, like, he revivified that franchise. Yes, yes. Chicago Charlie says it's like the Louis C.K. was never a funny take. This is a frustration of mine. It's the way people cannot compartmentalize their criticisms. It can't just be, I don't like this about you. It's that I need to maximize the stigma against you because I have an issue. I'll I'll listen to Mike Schur on baseball, but I don't need to hear like football analysis. I mean, I yeah, I, I, I would say so. It's just something that crossed my transom. It's something I've seen where it just doesn't end. It doesn't end at, hey, I've got an issue with this guy. It becomes their whole body of work. And no, you're, you, can, you can assess. I think you can criticize the playoff performances of Favre. He's the same side of the other coin, or however you say that phrase, as Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was too uptight and controlling in that costume in the playoffs. Favre was too reckless and crazy in that costume in the playoffs. But maybe the best quarterback of the 1990s, probably the best quarterback of the 1990s. And I, that is just, that, that is a take I needed to get off my chest. Right <laughs> yes. Now, um, I'm glad, I'm glad you had it. I hadn't actually seen the, this um, revisionist history about how good he was, but um, yeah. Well, so do- thankfully I named one guy, so it's not a total straw man. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, the sons starver, uh, do we, I mean, how much do people want of that one? Here's here's the question, Ryan, because you have a better view of the entirety of sports than I do. Is it a tempest in the teapot? I find aspects of it fascinating. I wrote 4,000 words on it. Um, at the same time, I'm noticing that NBA media people are covering it like it's the apocalypse, and everybody else is just going, so wait, is, is Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes the best quarterback right now? <laughs> and I, I don't know... It speaks to one of the reasons I was suspicious of it as um, a hostile takeover masquerading as morality 
is because it seems so random to me that we would have so much emphasis and effort uh, digging into the guts of a mid-market team that really nobody outside of Arizona gives a fuck about. Um, that being said, the reporting has been validated and Robert Sarver is a scumbag. It, so it, it would appear. Uh, but yes, I yeah. mean, what's your view of this and how big a deal it all is? Um, well, it's a big deal in the sense that any pro sports owner really being forced to sell is a big deal because that doesn't happen very often. Like I covered it. I wrote a list of all the times it's happened for when I was a writer at SI almost a decade ago now. Um, and there were not very many instances. There were like 12 or something. And three of them were George Steinbrenner of huh. owners who had been suspended or forced to sell. And so it's very, very, very rare. I know it just happened with Donald Sterling a few years ago, but like, you know, and then like a few of those were because like the owners went broke, like Frank McCourt with the Dodgers or whatever. So it's very rare that the owners coalesce and kick somebody out of their own club. So it's a big deal in that sense. Is it a big deal in the sense that like normal multi-sport sports fans are dropping everything to talk about it no it's not in that sense well you framed um, it as it's not every you know it's not every day it came on the market now i'm just i'm just gonna say this this is not necessarily my take although i think there's validity to it are they a contender it's a very sports talky question <laughs> on uh on, I, on know, behind they, the scenes they they were the runaway favorites to win the west until they didn't like, I mean, like, at least I'll give like you the theory the about why not. Last year. You know, we got, you know, they, they won all the games, the 60 games, the yada yada, but they got a bunch of right now B to B plus guys. And maybe you say Booker is an A minus, but they don't have that guy that you typically need in the playoffs to force a double team to for to break the defensive scheme. And so a lot of people in the league go, eh, kind of a paper tiger. I'm just throwing that one out there that I'm not okay. sure. So maybe they're not a contender. This but this the, like Mike sure to football need a basketball. <laughs> um, well, okay, no no, it's it's a defensible claim. But it, maybe it's not even about that. It's an enticing team to own. If you're a, a, a rich, glamorous guy, if you're a, a part of a group, including Bob Iger, to own a team that's just a quick flight from L.A., nice weather, well, hot weather, nice golfing, I, I think it, it is a more appealing team to come on to the market than most. Uh, I have three random derivative takes that don't have that much to do with the core. Number one, yeah. I was surprised to learn today that Sarver only owns a third of the team. I didn't know that you could be considered a pro sports controlling owner unless you own more than half. That was the first I've ever heard of that. Um, number two, the WNBA union came out and piled on right before, like they must've like known that he was going to sell the mercury when they released the statement demanding that he did that mm. he had to, because um, like, you know, they, they waited this long, but then it came out a couple hours before his announcement. Why is that? But, you know, the WNBA <laughs> union, how about you guys 
despite the fact that you go up against NFL Sunday <laughs> for two of your four finals games. Like, the NFL is the most popular show on TV by a considerable margin. These NFL Sundays, like, every all 17 of them are in, like, the top, you know, 25 or 30 TV shows of the year, not just in sports, but everything. And the WNBA is putting two of their four finals games straight up against them. Complain about that. Uh, still, pretty unimpre- still pretty unimpressive that the WNBA finals clincher got 396,000 viewers. Uh, in That's like a time. regular season on an ABC game because they're too hard-headed it's not also- to go up against the NFL. On on prime time, it's like a test pattern. I mean, that's that's amazingly low. Uh, anything could get that. Us talking about Brett Favre could get three hundred ninety six thousand on ABC uh, on a time. Sunday. It's possible. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a whole other thing. The WNBA. We don't need to go down that whole that whole route. Other than say well, they should a, not I, be going against football Sundays. It's the dumbest thing in the they, world. I, it is dumb, but there is also some comedy where we have to include the mercury in every official news report about the sale. I mean, it is true, factually, that you would, I guess, have to sell the mercury as well. But obviously, the the suns, that's the main the main news item right there. But it's just funny to see. Uh, it's just funny to see it. Um, I yeah, like I'm ripping mean, the WNBA. I think like I've I've said well, I'm bullish you, on its long term, but you're 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 the father of daughters. I'm the father of sons. I think it's you know it's really the division when it comes to the WNBA. If we're totally honest here, but it might be. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm not that my girls are playing it. It's maybe my little one. Like she might be an athlete. My older one is not going to be an athlete. Um, yeah, I think the, I, I think I should probably say the same for my sons. But. Um, yeah, I uh, the Sarver, the whole Sarver deal, it was shocking. People were very surprised. I was surprised. surprised that he folded. Um, I, you know, I thought this guy's an asshole. He's not going to fold, and I was wrong. Um, I would have, from a journalistic perspective, would have loved to see like a drag it out knuckle, like "Hey, make me sell" situation because it would have been really interesting, and I would have liked to see how ugly something like that could have gotten. But I think also part of him realized that he's going to make so much money on his investment. And it's not necessarily a guarantee that these franchises are going to go up forever. And maybe this isn't the worst time to get out of Dodge. Yeah. Well, or, and I've learned nothing to indicate this, but at the same time, I, I do wonder if people skipped ahead to the to the uh, final chapter of the book a little too hastily. All yeah, he, he said, said he's going to he... start exploring a sale. What if he doesn't get an offer that yeah. he's happy with? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Everyone's like, okay, well, this is done. That's the end of this chapter. And I thought, you know, if Sarver did want to keep the team playing for time and saying, you know, I'm looking, I'm just waiting for things to cool down. I mean, now... Chris Paul's a, a relevant player on your team, but what if he gets a year older, you know, it, it, just the whole thing. And there's a new news story that obsesses everybody. They'll come back to it. Don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't be crazy to me if, if he thought, well, 
what's the downside if I say I'm exploring my options here? Well, and he, I end up he really options. did, like, give a, like, you know, I'm never going to be able to make this right in the statement. It wasn't, um, you know, just that part of it made it seem like it, he's, he's pretty sincerely trying to sell. But who knows? Maybe he's playing 7D chess. I don't know if it's 7D. I mean, I don't, I, it, it's not that tricky a trick, I think, to just go, <laughs> okay, well, I'll explore the options. He's not committing to doing it. He's just saying that I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to look. I'm going to look at it. Now, I would think he's going to do it. I would think that this has all been worked out. And I would think He probably that, knows who's going to buy it. And I would think that when Silver's getting crushed by media members, they're not being fair to him because – well, it just shows that nobody's happy because they want the team out of Sarver's hands and they're mad because Adam Silver isn't real, just raging against him and banning him for life. But then it ends up that Sarver seems open to selling the team, I think in large part because Silver used the honey and not the vinegar. And now they're grousing and carping about, well, that means he's going to get a $2 billion uh, sale and whatever money comes from that. Grumble, 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 grumble. Um, it, it just seems like, again, Silver was acting prudently. And I think prudently, however way you, you want to Here's, here's like, um, I, I've come to a point with stories like Sarver where I literally don't want to read or hear anybody's opinion on it. I want to, like, see what the facts are. And then I just don't want to be exposed to any commentary about it. Because I just, like, frankly don't care what people's Mm. opinions on it are. I just don't. When they're in that moralized space, I feel like I'm being lied to. Because I feel as though many people are talking at me, not with their real sentiment, but with what they think they should be saying. Because everybody's being observed. And I am very disinterested in that kind of commentary. I'm happy. Do you want to hear anybody on TV talk about this with their opinion? Only Stephen A, because he might do it in a funny way. Um, (laughs) But legit opinion. Like, do you want to see the argument scored on around the horn? Steve Kerr, given his real take was interesting. That was going to be my third thing. Yeah. Um, You know, I, what I said to you privately, and I think I stand by, is why why couldn't he have done this earlier? Why did he wait? Now, maybe... He did honestly, do it earlier. It, oh, he, he did? He, he, well, he was asked by Baxter Holmes, and he got ripped by some people for not joining the dog pile on, on old this Bobby is, This is why I'm glad I have you to keep me honest, because the, I didn't the, see that. But um, the, I think the SF Gate guy who crushed... My newsletter, which has been going strong ever since it was crushed by, by the SF gate, I would add, um, also crushed Kerr, if memory serves, uh, for saying that, which is almost, it's annoying to me because I don't know, like, what if that's his real take? What if that's his real assessment of what it was like to work with Robert Sarver? Should we pressure him to lie about it? I mean, he was asked, Baxter Holmes asked him, and he gave a, a, he gave an assessment that was pretty similar to the one that that he just gave that um, he didn't see the sexist and racist stuff that people are talking about. Now I I will say again, and this is sort of people talking behind the scenes. They don't want to be saying this in public, uh, you know, but they talk a different way behind the scenes. Um, 
you know, there's kind of a feeling of, and it's complicated to parse, that Robert Sarver wasn't Mr. Racism. Um, it's a little bit weird because he's got the five instances of using the N-word. and But maybe both those things can coexist, that he broke a taboo that is racial in nature, uh, that has become ever more a taboo over the last few years. And at the same time, he's somebody who wasn't a Donald Sterling type. I think there's more of a case in just a lot of the offhand comments for the sexist angle. But nobody in the NBA really cares about that. They're only pretending to. I mean, when LeBron is saying there's no place for sexism in the NBA, it's just, I mean, you know, anyway. <laughs> shock, shock to find gambling here. Yeah, exactly. Just similar, similar to uh, there's no homophobia in the NBA, except Anthony Edwards is calling guys uh, queers on the street and lamenting what the world didn't come to. And literally no player is criticizing him for that. In a video he took and uploaded to the internet, and Aaron Gordon is complaining that he was fined forty thousand uh, dollars. Yes, anyway, Kareem yeah. went after him to be fair, but not that he's played, you know, in the last thirty years. But um, yeah, Kareem was like, Kareem went pretty hard after him. Yeah, um, Kareem has always been sort of a loner, not one of the guys. I mean, you can say it's sad, you can say it's bad, but I don't think that there would be. I don't, I don't think your median NBA player, if he's in the car with Anthony Edwards as he does that video, is going, hey, man, that's not okay. That's not really, at least in my experience, what I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, do you want to move on? What was the other topic we well, were going to talk about? He- well, you had Bill Walton going, uh, you know, yes. right wing against the homeless, which is a fascinating story that other people are. Could you have fathomed seeing that until you saw it? No, it's actually legitimately shocking to read Bill Walton's quotes about the homeless situation. In he, San Diego. he has been for like a month. He has been railing on the San Diego mayor in a series of private letters that were uncovered by the website voiceofsandiego.org. And I don't know. I, like I think how... Voice of San Diego, I think, is just connected to the Union Tribune, I believe, uh, unless something has changed. But yeah. No, it was, it, it was this, the article in Voice of San Diego was like a column, though. It was, oh, a, yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, so I don't think it was connected to the newspaper, but you, you you're from there and you might be right. But I didn't get any I'm sense. From there, this but there's a legacy thing media called organization. Voice of San Diego Org. Now I don't know what's happened since. I gave you a needless interruption when you were doing good expository. Continue. All right. So um, I think I gotta pull this up and read it. Although I don't want to lose my um, <laughs> somebody who could do yeah. a Bill Walton imitation. Just him railing against the homeless in that voice would at least uh, right. would at least tickle me. So he. Um, the mayor of San Diego, Todd Gloria, was elected in 2016 to, to say that he's a Democrat is a waste of a sentence because San Diego is not going to have a Republican mayor. Um, so Walton wrote at least three letters. He wrote, you have failed us and yourself once again while peacefully riding my bike this Sunday morning in Balboa Park. I was threatened, chased, and assaulted by the homeless population. Once again, you've done and continue to do nothing. And um, 
you speak of the rights of the homeless. What about our rights? We follow the rules of a functioning society. Why are others allowed to disregard those rules? Your lack of action is unacceptable, as is the conduct of the homeless population. So these were letters from Walton to yeah. the mayor of San Diego, private. And then he went on like two public Instagram screeds basically saying the same thing again, saying you need to take action, capital N-O-W, now. Yeah. Um, and so like he he's like t- said like, you know, this has been my home for 43 years. I um I can't like it's no longer the dream. I can't tell people to visit work or play here. Like we need to get our life back. Like he sounds like he he's almost feels like imprisoned by the um the huge, you know, upswing in the homeless population that's happened in a lot of cities, especially in California, but it's also happened and like New York and like various well, other cities. And, and theoretically, San Diego has it better than any of the other major California cities, from what I've heard. At least pre-Gloria taken over, uh, they would be the good example relative to L.A. and San Francisco. So perhaps there's been a change. Now, for some additional context on this, um, I know some people who bike with Bill Walton he just goes out there and bikes all around San Diego. We're talking 40 milers and not fast. He's not a fast bicyclist at the age of 69. So he's, he just sees it all. So that might give him a unique perspective on what's going on out here. He's the consummate San Diegan. Uh, he's his, lived there 43 years. Like his uh, mother, my friend Neely, who's a listener, like tweeted at me, like, I wish I could find it. But there was one time, like during a game, he just went on like a five minute, like <laughs> tangent about how great San Diego is. And the voice of San Diego um, story said, like, I could not recall or even find when looking for it any time that Walton has ever, um, you know, advocated against a politician. He's like raised money yeah. for assembly people that I guess are in the mayor's he's, circle. He's very civic minded. He um, donated. Like, this is a not lot. a Rush Limbaugh accolade, like no, no. by like any stretch Walton, of the imagination. No, Walton really cares. He donated a lot to the San Diego Main Public Library, which is a beautiful building. Um, it used to be the building that my mom worked in. Uh, until they built the uh, the new one, she's retired. This is all the, this is all boring stuff. But my mom used to work with his uh, his mom, who was a librarian in, in San Diego, and um, I talked to him about it. And he again will just regale you for a long time about uh, he really cares, and it's weird to care about San Diego since it's such a transient city. Um, <laughs> a lot of not, military people. Yeah, it, Ted's uh, typical enlisted dudes. Uh, it, it's not one of these places with a diehard sports culture, right? So they don't have a lot of people sticking up for them. And uh, they, there was a big core, to be fair, of diehard San Diego Chargers. Fans. Oh, no, yeah, I might have. I might have been one of them. I might have known such people growing you know, up. Yeah, the people just with great fondness for Natron means. Oh yeah, oh those are the guys. Bring me back to when I was a kid. And Rodney Harrison hitting people when you were allowed to give people CTE all in one play. It was, it was good times back in the 90s. Anyway, um, so he really cares. And 
I admire his honesty on this, frankly. And I, I think the shame of this situation that we're seeing in so many cities, and then we're getting away from the sports a little bit, is that any objection to the total entropy uh, just gets recast as a lack of empathy and you're a bad person. You know, you're a well, bad he person. Was, he was saying, and I didn't include this, he was saying, you know, it costs more to keep them on the street than to put them in centers. Like, do rehab, do outreach, like, don't just, you know, pack them up and throw them in jail. That's not what he was saying. Or like, you know, put them on a barge out to sea. Mm. It was not insensitive. Um, Charlie, by the way, asked, is San Diego fairly conservative? I think in the 1990s, but um, the culture certainly changed after the defense industry was defunded following the Cold War um, and uh, helped really to uh, that flipped it, I think, to being very one of those places where like you can't even like fathom the idea of buying a house. Well, yeah, it's also quite expensive to buy to buy a house. Um, But I think the conservative San Diego thing, the last gasp of that was the Republican convention being there in 1996. Uh, But I think that is, that is no longer the case. Uh, The the culture of the the city has changed quite a bit, although it's it's more moderate than the other, than the other cities. But um, yeah, I I think that it's good if civic minded people uh, raise this as an issue and something should be done. And it's, annoying to me at least when i've said stuff about it because hey bill walton thinks it's out of control in balboa park i i could i bet i could blow his mind if i took him to oakland right now (laughs) (laughs) if he wants to see zombie apocalypse you know um this is a real problem and it, it isn't just what people want it to be because everybody has their preferred narrative of why a problem exists and so in this case if you talk to people who live in places where we live, Ryan, in our social milieu, uh, they'll just talk about housing affordability and the people who know, know. The people who do the reporting on it, they know what's up, which is people down there in the tents are doing meth and fentanyl. And it's tragic and it's awful. And it seems like indulging it is only bringing more of this problem. And And, And also, I think, like, from what I've read about it, it's not people who, like you know, were renters in San Francisco and lived there for a long time. And then, you know, the tech industry just went up and up and up. Housing went up and up and up. And then they couldn't afford to live there. That's certainly the case with some. But a lot of people just migrate to California because it's a place where they can be homeless and not be like, you know, forcibly removed. Yeah, well, this goes back to the incentives, too, where you want to be nice, you want to be kind. In San Francisco, they passed a proposition, but it just seems like the easier you make it to be homeless, the more homeless you get where you are. And the incentives are fairly easy to follow there. Now, there are these bigger society-wide problems that are tricky, such as I think a lot of people have lost faith in the whole damn thing. And yeah, I don't think it's just a materialist problem. I think for a lot of people, it's, well, why not live in a tent and do meth or heroin all day? I mean, I'm not seeing much out there that tells me that this is a society worth joining. I think that's a real thing. So, um, and I anyway. Think that, um, this is a big aside, but, you know, we're seeing all these worker shortages everywhere. Um, 
And I think a big factor has been this like drug epidemic where what you're saying, people are just withdrawing from society and you can't just, you know, snap a finger and replace all of these people that we're talking about. No, you know, there's a hole in the nation's soul. There's something, there's something going on. Um, And now what's crazy is that people are combining the Fent and the meth, which I have to say intrigues me, you know, not to be too glib. I mean, I wouldn't, ever want to do either of those but just the idea of them being combined i mean what is that like anyway um maybe we should take a call by sean who who hopped in let's make sean the next caller maybe he'll solve the homelessness crisis or at least tell us what udoka did hey guys hey um hi well first off i don't have an any idea on what he did i threw out that he probably pulled a costanza and wore you know, Bill Russell's jersey around the office, but I don't we, think that's we, what it was. Woj said that he does not be, it is not believed to be a, a fireable offense as of yet. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, well, hey, I guess George didn't get fired for that either. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so yeah. Um, real quick on this one, I wanted to be your guys' man on the street if I could because I'm a SoCal native like Ethan, but I'm from the Orange County, LA area. And in the last two months, I moved down to within a mile of Balboa Park, which you guys were talking about. And in my mind, you know, San Diego's always been, like you guys said, it has a little bit more of a handle on the homeless issue, at least from what I've seen when I visit. Um, but no, it's actually just as bad as it is, frankly, as it is in downtown LA, where I came from. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a thing where, as Ryan said, you have these million dollar homes, you know, the 1200 square feet, million dollar homes, but you have a homeless guy pass out, out in front of the house Women have to walk around it, you know, naked guys walking around town. The cops don't do anything about it. There's just this disconnect there between you're living in a really rich area, but yet we, we can't seem to figure out what to do about this issue at all. It's just really disheartening, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's You actually have to have consequences, and that's not fashionable to say there should be boundaries and consequences, but I, I think it's not crazy to start floating. I, look, I think the ideology that Ryan and I have for the most part is what worked and what didn't, you know, if, if a lot of the more lenient policies led to a more placid, tranquil world, then we would go, you know, hell yeah, let's ride that train. Um, but I think over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of the loosey goosey, <laughs> do whatever you want stuff lead to entropy and despair. And so now, yeah, I am, I am open to more consequences and maybe we shouldn't let people do fentanyl in that. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. This is like a crazy idea. Anyway. I think, I think you're spot on because again, if you care about human suffering at all, I mean, this obviously isn't working for anyone. Um, I'll hang up. I'm going to go back to trying to get our favorite native son, Ethan Strauss, a statue right next to Tony Gwynn in downtown. <laughs> oh God, I love Tony Gwynn. All right. Thanks so much, Sean. <laughs> Ah, Tony Gwynn. I see. What's great about San Diego is I met Tony Gwynn and Bill Walton. You just everybody met everybody met both those guys. If you grew up in San Diego, <laughs> they um man the that that is great that you have these like Bill Walton stories. But um, he you know by the way, me. wait a second, you know, I got a brat. Um, he, he congratulated me for winning the Hoop It Up competition. When I was 12, Ryan, I don't know if you knew that, but he presented so, me the trophy. <laughs> why are OutKick and the New York Post the only outlets that'll cover this? 
Why are the New York? You're saying the New York Post is the only outlet um, and Outkick. Why are uh, Outkick and New York Post the only places for that Bill Walton? Will for, cover for, this for Bill Walton? You're saying, yeah, because like, everything is narrative now. Because everything is. Does this help the political narrative and my political party, or does it hurt it? And so there's a lot of denial on this issue because there's a fear that it will validate a Republican critique. And so it's it's annoying to me because I wish that we could just kind of go case by case, look at what's working and look at what's not working. But instead... Like, like if Bill Walton went on one of these like screeds on Instagram against like Donald Trump, there's like, what, dozens, if not over a hundred stories about it across the internet? Is there, though? That's a little bit too much like Dog Bites Man. I mean, but to what you're saying, this is more Man Bites Dog and should perhaps be more of a story. I just think the Twitter era is dominated by this neurotic sense that everything you say might be advancing a narrative that you're not in favor of or people you're not in favor of, or you'll be mistaken for a right winger. I mean, a lot of, I think, educated in the city's American life is dominated by the fear of people thinking you're a Republican. And I think what the roots of that are a little bit uh, the extreme failure of uh, the Bush administration, the W. Bush administration, and then followed by Barack Obama uh, really um, inspiring and becoming almost a religious figure to a lot of people in the cities. Uh, and so it, it got even more pro-Democrat. And now it's almost wielded as this weapon to stigmatize um, any sort of dissenting opinion uh, within these cultures where you try to critique it from within and it, it gets dismissed as, well, you're the bad thing, you're the Republican. And I think it's just that's just dominant. But JF is is calling in. We're never going to get to the Aaron Judge baseball thing. I, Ryan, I'm fascinated by why people give these balls away. But anyway, JF. Yeah, so uh, you guys are you guys don't have a topic on this, but I wanted to bring it up because I heard on Simmons' uh, podcast yesterday, I think. Uh, but the Tim Donaghy uh, documentary that was on Netflix, um, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I was very really fascinated by kind of the – last 20 minutes of that so a did you guys watch this no, no I, i've, I've I, ran into some normies who saw it <laughs> but he, he's on my don't it? give him attention list and, and what uh so you know i think bill simmons actually did a pretty good job of kind of framing it of this being a you know coming directly from the perspective to donahue and uh so it's it's completely his message but there was a few interesting things at the end that you know was quite intriguing uh and I, like charlie and i were just going back about h-bob becoming a possible owner of an nba team um and because he was kind of mentioned as one of the betters who was capitalizing on these line movements when tim was uh roughing games uh but the interesting part was how the NBA was trying to sweep this under the rug and particularly yeah. David Stern. And, you know, there was the rumor and innuendo of the FBI agent getting kind of 
swooned on Bystern saying, making comments like, oh, we could use someone like you in the NBA to try to, uh, you know, put out any mm. kind of fire that he finds uh, there and them like quickly. And there is some sort of conspiracy where they were one of the major gamblers uh, who's orchestrating this basically gets a um, uh, a plea deal that's very favorable to him. And he thinks it's Stern who who did it. Right? it was, the quote mm. was Stern runs the world or something. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Even though you haven't seen it. Tom Haberstroh would say that the real story, the fascinating story is how the NBA shut it down. And I know that Tom has looked into it and done some work on it. And so I don't want to step on any of those toes because I'm fascinated by what stories he might be able to tell. But yeah, I mean, Stern was ruthless and... There's a lot of realpolitik to, to how he went about it. And it, it is hard to think, it is hard to believe that the rot just ended with Tim Donahue. It's hard to buy that these games weren't being manipulated for the sake of gamblers. Um, and it is rather remarkable that the NBA managed to just keep it moving. A lot of people thought they would just be brought down by this scandal. It was explosive. And maybe part of that, though, is that nobody really cares in the end. <laughs> It's just there's kinda... su- there was such there's such low betting handle on the NBA even now when it's legal everywhere like the amount of money being wagered on these games was like not especially high you know football has just always had a ton of people gambling on it and the other sports I know Pete Rose got in huge trouble but it's just like not nearly as big of a factor in the way that like people watch those sports. Um, I love this is just this uh, Doug Kazarian tweet chatted with I respected NBA too. odds maker. Even if Udoka's suspension is lengthy, still no change in win total. Coaching staff still has his philosophies <laughs> and minimal change implemented from last year. <laughs> Only impact might be ATO plays at the end of games. God, the things they think about. That uh, is crazy. Um, no one knows, but um, the but yeah, on, it is funny that, move- that basically that tweet could be written as NBA odds makers say coaches don't matter at all. <laughs> Pretty but, much. But, uh, but about those movements, they were talking about how uh, Donahue's games would move like three points, right? Two and a half. And that's how like HBob would spot uh, this, right? He was identifying the trend or everyone else was. So there was just tons of money that was flowing in on his games because the line would swing like two and a half, three points. But what was very Uh, interesting too, and you know, this goes to your kind of inside information, Ethan. So please uh, share your hearsay, but it was, I think it was Scott Foster was somebody who he communicated with very frequently during this time. And they had the, they showed the phone record. They were on like a walkie talkie basically. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and um, that that's something people have brought up. It's very insular, the ref world, too. I mean, they they all so many of them come out of Philadelphia uh, and they, they are their own their own culture. It's weird. The, the refs have a mystique to them. I know I'm just bouncing around, but they've got a real mystique to them. And it's weird to just be talking to a ref sometimes and be in conversations and they'll go like, Oh my God, that was a crazy game. 
such and such was just going off. He was unbelievable. And you're almost scandalized, like seeing a teacher outside of school going, wait, you pay attention to the game and react like that? Um, <laughs> like, a, like a normal the, person? Um, I've, I've actually, this is so random, but I'm reading this book about the end of the war between the New York Post and the New York Daily News. And, um, Deary, stop it. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading this book about the end of the war between the Post and the Daily News. And it's by like a guy who was a runner. And so like his job was to, like, you know, go knock on doors if like and try and like talk to the mom of like a son who got murdered or something. And like just like all over New York and even like the country in some respect, he worked for the news and he was just trying to beat the Post to everything. And he got assigned to the Donaghy thing. And he, first, at first, they thought there was like a Michael Jordan connection, which didn't wind up materializing. They also thought there was a Barkley connection. Mm. Um, I, I think like Jordan vouched for Donaghy in some situation or Barkley did or whatever. I I just read this and I already forgot. But um, he also, the, this I didn't forget. The NBA hired a private investigator to like, you know, research Donahue a year and a half before the scandal broke in the news. So they like kind like in, in the, there were a year and a half of games that happened with him refing them after the NBA, like Stern hired this like husband, wife, private investigator team in Pennsylvania. And mm. that is like a wild part of the scandal. Yeah. Um, I want, I'm going to pressure Tom now to do what he needs to do. I think Tom, I think Tom, I, I should talk less about it, but that's the guy. That's the guy who might have some interesting, intriguing stuff coming down the uh, pike. I'm going to. Uh, yeah. Well, just, just before I, uh, you kick me off, I just want to know what do the players think? Like, have they ever, you know, grossed to you about, uh, you know, things going on with the refs or personal vendettas or, you know, something else. I always was the players and the refs. It was more so that they just hated this or that ref. I, I don't know if it ever got really that, if it really got that deep. I mean, it was interesting to see the way coaches interacted and the way Steve Kerr was with the refs, the interaction in the first year was really interesting because he would flip out. And part of why you'd flip out was the sense of if he's going up against Carlisle, Carlisle has this gravitas and presence for multiple years and will just yell at the refs and have more leeway. And I think Steve felt like he, he was a rookie and that really pissed him off that, that the, uh, the more established coaches could bully the refs. And so there, that, that was something I got a sense of that was interesting to watch the dynamics of, but I don't know if, I don't know if I ever got much in the way of uh, specificity from the players on these refs beyond hating this guy, thinking that guy's trash, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, thank you, JF. Uh, quick, before we get on out of here, Ryan, why are people giving away these these uh, Aaron Judge home runs and stuff like that in baseball? Or is America you know, just a kinder, more noble place than we think it is? Well, this 20-year-old, he just doesn't have a concept of what he's really going to need money for, I think. Mm. Um, he So, you know, he, he there are st- 
still, and we are very jaded by it, but there are people who believe in the magic of sports. And so this kid is 20. He plays baseball. He's a diehard Yankees fan. Um, you know, he... It's like it just he's like, oh, Aaron Judge has done so much for this organization that I pour my heart and emotions to for 162 games a year. Like people who are really obsessed with baseball um, follow every out for a season. Like you can't even believe it. And so he gave the ball back to Aaron Judge. Now. I think that it was very dumb of him because, you know, one day he's going to need to pay for daycare and he's going to wish he had like, you know, a hundred grand just sitting there that he could dip into. But um, he, he, I don't know what his family situation or whatever is. Maybe he's fine there, but um, for whatever reason, he gave the ball back to judge in exchange for like, Basically, a one signed baseball, one signed bat, signed baseballs for his three friends, and a photo op. And, you know, Darren Ravel is out here just saying, like, the Yankees got away with a terrible trade. And if they want Judge's 61st and 62nd homers, they better come up with, like, a better plan than this. Because they're not going to find, like, another sucker who catches the ball. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's got money, this kid. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think we've seen a lot of that where they give it to the athlete. and uh, It happened. I wrote about it um, today, actually. Ro- the guy who caught Roger Maris's ball wanted to give it back. But Maris somehow knew that there was going to be, like, a guy who would pay $5,000 for the ball to hold it for a few days and then give it back to Maris. And so that's what this guy did. And five grand in 1961 is worth about 50 grand now, which I even think it would be worth more, especially if you put it in stocks. But um, according to like, you know, the inflation calculator, that's what five grand then is worth now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it's amazing to me. I, I, I would keep it and say, Hey, I'm a fan of the team. Uh, also, uh, I like the money. This is legally mine, but it's, it's, I would also just be so paranoid. Imagine, imagine how paranoid you would be after you caught it. And I think he said that he just tried to get out of there as fast as possible. And it, it seems like right now uh, with all the information people can get on you, you would you would really have to come up with a plan of how you're going to hide this thing too, as as you sold it. But anyway, you know, people are more benevolent than we are, Ryan. It would seem. I guess so. Well, this has been a this has been a great episode. Is there anything you would like to plug, sir? Um, I broke the news that Shams Charania is staying with the Athletic and Stadium tonight. Um, I think that was the expected outcome, but you never know with these free agency situations, especially with Athletic now being owned by a new owner in the New York Times. Um, I'm supposed to have a Chris Long profile coming out tomorrow, but I got a DM about it a few minutes ago that's going to gum it up, and I'm dreading dealing with it now because I had it done and whatever. Um, The... 
and then I'm going to be talking to Shawn Michaels tomorrow for the story. So you and your excited wrestling. about that. You and your wrestling. Uh, I recorded a podcast with Amin El Hassan on some of the sun situation. It is behind the paywall. Um, I think I'm going to be doing an interesting one with Sam Sfendiari on whether young people will watch sports again and how that's ever going to happen. And it's something that he has given a lot of thought about for a very specific reason. So that should be coming up. And who knows? I'm already getting pressure to write about Woj. I, I don't know. I need more of an angle. Like more things would have to manifest. I'm not just going to write about Woj every week. It's not going to happen. Unless it's interesting. We'll see. Okay. See everybody. Take care. Good job by you. Bye. Good job by you. Good job by you.